You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Um, quite a blessing. That uh, Be Thou My Vision is one of my favorite hymns. Well, it is my favorite hymn. You know, it's an amazing prayer that uh, um, I love to sing uh, in the morning uh, at the beginning of service and probably left up to me. We'd sing it 26 times a year, you know, out of 52 weeks. And uh, anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. Today what I'd like to do is uh, I want to share a little bit of... of, um, passage from Isaiah chapter 1. This is actually a, is a message I shared a couple of weeks ago in a uh, local church setting. And, uh, you know, it's one that uh, continues to be on my heart a little bit. I know in the time that we've had uh, since the COVID crisis came upon us, it's sort of shaken everything up. It's shaken up uh, uh, lives in terms of, uh, you know, everything from government to family to church to, um, to all kinds of stuff. Uh, so it's, um, it, you know, I, I hear stories uh, coming to light, even with a lot of the chaos that's happening in the U.S., for instance. I also hear stories, you know, that there are people coming to Christ. There are people coming to faith in God. Um, you know, it seems like this is one of the things that happens oftentimes when we have big shakeups in our society, you know. Suddenly we have needs. Suddenly we're aware that um, what is going on uh, in our lives is actually beyond our ability to control. And so we're in a time and a season right now where that is the case. And of course, anyone, you know, in hospital, um, you know, that that gets amplified because, you know, you're in hospital. uh, Things uh, for you could be out of control in ways that they're not out of control when you're when you're not in the hospital. You know, one of the things I always remember, I used to, uh, I, I was a, 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 when I was training as a young pastor, and I used to work at St. Paul's Hospital. We were doing clinical pastoral education, and we would spend four hours on the wards every day and four hours off the wards. And, and I always liked, in some ways, I always liked um, working in palliative care, of all things. Uh, a lot of the people I worked with didn't like palliative care because it was a depressing place. And it was a place where, um, you know, there there was not much hope. Um, I, I liked palliative care. And one of the reasons I liked palliative care was because when you walk through the doors of palliative care, people were very definitely thinking about eternal uh, things. Um, oftentimes, I remember walking in, you know, in you know, some of the other wards in the hospital and, and people would see my collar on and, ah, you know what, chaplain, good to meet you, but goodbye. Right. And they would send me packing down the road pretty fast. Um, but not people in palliative care, people in palliative care were, um, were always, uh, always very interesting because they wanted to talk about those big questions. And, and, and I just found a lot of very, good opportunities to have really meaningful interaction with people in that place. So, you know, I mean, as we think about that, you know, that's one of the things I think, you know, redemptively speaking, when we look at what's happening with COVID, 
and we look at happening what's happening in terms of the crises that has hit our society since, there are a lot of people that are suddenly made aware that, you know, I'm not as in control of my life as I thought I was. I need help. God, where are you? Um, you know, so so it it's interesting. And for me, you know, this passage actually that I would like to read to you, I want to read first from, from Isaiah 1 and secondly from Isaiah 6. But Isaiah 1, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull parts of this passage out. Um, and um, yeah, anyway, I'm going to start at verse 10. It says, hear the word of the Lord. And it speaks to the rulers of Sodom and the, the people of Gomorrah and all that kind of stuff. Two places that were known for extreme sinfulness. Uh, you know, if you look up the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, it did not go well for them. Um, not that they weren't given lots of chances by God. They were. But but there was this essential selfishness uh, that that overtook that place. And so God speaks to them through Isaiah in this passage. But, you know, I want you, as we read this, I want to listen to this. How does this speak to us? How does it speak to our society as well? Hear the word of the Lord. To what purpose is a multitude of your sacrifices to me? He begins to speak immediately about all the religious stuff we do. What purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? You know, this was not a churchless society in that sense. It was not a non-religious society. They took, apparently they did a lot of sacrificing. They did a lot of uh, religious rituals. Um, and, and God asks them, what is the purpose of this? Like, why are you doing all this? Why really are you doing all this? Says the Lord. He says, I have enough of, I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or the lamb or, or of lambs or goats. He says, when you come near before me, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? You know, such an interesting uh, picture. You know, I was uh, reminded of a, a massive church I went into at one point in time way back when. And it was a huge church. And we came, I think, to the second service. Well, the early service was just getting out. But there were so many people in this place. They they actually roped off part of the foyer. They shoveled, shoved us all into this one part of the foyer. Let everybody else out. When everybody was out, they opened the ropes, let us in. I felt like it was in the stockyards, you know. All this trampling of the courts. Now, on one hand, you don't, you could make an argument for, you know, that particular church. They were, good things were going on there and people wanted to go there. But on the other hand, the thing that stood out for me was this trampling of the courts. Uh, and that's what God speaks of here. Why do you trample my courts? It's an image that, that does not speak of heartfelt coming to worship. It's an image that actually speaks of this religious ritual this tradition and god goes why do you do this i'm, I'm tired of this um, he says bring no more futile sacrifices incense is an abomination to me the new moons the sabbaths the calling of assemblies i cannot endure the iniquity and the sacred meeting your moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates they are a trouble to me i'm weary of burying them when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. So he speaks to this people, you know, people that have their, it's not that they don't do their religious stuff. They do their religious rituals. They do a lot of religious rituals, but they don't have that heartfelt seeking after God. And this is one of the themes among Jesus's teaching. Jesus would always rather have someone come to him with a heartfelt cry uh, for his mercy 
than to have someone who would just go and do religious rituals. In Matthew 6, when Jesus taught the disciples about the Lord's Prayer, one of the things he taught them is he said, don't, don't pray like the pagans or the unbelievers who think that they will be heard for their, multi, their, their, their many words. God is not interested in many words. He's not interested in all the ritual stuff. He's not interested in, in the sacrifices, in the, the things that we try to do to appease him. God wants the fellowship with us. He wants a personal relationship with us. He wants us to honestly care. You know, when Jesus was asked what was the most important thing, Matthew 22, 37 to 40, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. He wanted that intimate connection with us. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this passage, after God speaks about how all this religious stuff that these people do, how, how this just, he hates it. He says to them, now I want you to wash yourself to make yourselves clean, to put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. You know, uh, that was one of Jesus' definitions of true religion, right? I think it was Jesus. I'm going to go look up my reference. But he said, you know, true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. That heartfelt expression of taking care of people who are in need rather than giving uh, to something that you get something back from. Jesus was always after those heart motives. He says the heart of God is purely unselfish. The heart of God is a, the heart of love. The heart of God is this heart that wants to bless and to bring blessing. And so this is what God calls us to. He says, learn this particular heart. Instead of all of the religious stuff that you do that looks so impressive, but inside is shallow, I would rather have that you would be someone who brings mercy to someone else. So that passage, you know, in Isaiah chapter 1, I encourage you to take some time and spend some time in that passage. Where is your religious ritual just ritual? Um, where are you doing religious things maybe to pay off what you've done? Um, God is not interested in us paying anything. I think about Matthew 9, 13, where Jesus says, go learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. God doesn't want us paying for any of our sins. He's already done that for us. What God wants to do is he wants us to experience his compassion and he wants us to be able to give that compassion away. We don't have to make people receive it either. Just as we're out in our day, our worship is actually to pour out the love of God on someone who needs it. So that passage is a, is a powerful challenge to us. Now, interestingly enough, we fast forward to Isaiah chapter 6. This is one of the more famous passages in Isaiah. And it's the picture of what happened to Isaiah one Sabbath as he was in the temple and he was doing the religious trampling of the courts. He was doing the religious thing. And he was doing all the stuff that he had been taught and trained that he should do to please God. And suddenly God shows up and totally blows his world away. So I want to just read this and then make a couple of comments on it. Isaiah 6.1, it says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. 
Seraphim are, are a type of angel that is known to be around the throne of God in heaven. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, and the voice of him who cried out, and the uh, by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. So I want to, I want to unpack a little bit of this. This first passage, uh, the first part of this passage, I call the revelation. So here we have Isaiah. He comes into the, 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 uh, the, the church or the temple, and he's doing his religious stuff. Uh, that's where he's located when he has this revelation. And, you know, as we look back through history and we look at some of the great people of faith, the greatness behind their faith is always tied to some kind of revelation. God uh, calls us to a place where we each experience a kind of revelation. Now, somebody might say to me, well, I've never had such a, a revelation of God. Well, it's time to seek it. Uh, that's, that's what I find myself doing. Uh, you know, God, I come to you with a hungry heart. God, I come to seek you, you know. I think about actually in the old days, you know, some of the old uh, uh, native, uh, or some of our indigenous traditions. Um, I was reading a book here a little while ago. They would take a young man and they would send him off into the wilderness and he was to remain out there until he got his totem. And really the, the, the belief system behind that tradition was he was to remain out into the wilderness until the great spirit gave him a revelation of who he was to be. You know, that's probably simplifying it a little bit. I remember living in Mission, BC, and it was interesting to me because on several buildings in Mission, they actually uh, wrote some of the religious history of the area. And they talked in one of these uh, writings of um, a native uh, or an indigenous uh, medicine man who had been had a revelation that um, someone would come bearing a book and in the book would be what they would need to know about uh, God and faith and eternity. And, you know, they, as, as the revelation moved forward, at some point in time, Jesuit missionaries rolled into the area. And, um, and this native medicine man, or this indigenous medicine man, uh, he recognized them and he recognized the Bible they carried. And he, and, and he said to them, you, you've arrived. We've been waiting for you. It's quite a powerful story. Now, i got to be honest, you know, it, that, that story didn't have a positive ending because some of the abuses of the Catholic Church and institutional church, I guess I should say, uh, out in that area um, developed later on. But the initial contact was a revelation, and uh, though it didn't finish well. And, you know, actually we find that in the Bible too. Very oftentimes you'll have people that find revelations uh, God reveals himself and then they run off in some crazy direction with it. They don't finish well. Uh, 
that doesn't negate the revelation. So here's Isaiah. He's doing his religious duty and God breaks in on him. One of the powerful things that, that experiencing a revelation says to us is that God has an agenda for our lives. Ephesians 2.10 actually talks about that. It says God has pre-planned good works for us to walk in. God has an agenda for our lives. God wants to use us. God wants to draw us into relationship with him. And God has not waited for us to initiate that on our own. God has initiated it himself. Isaiah's in the temple doing what he can do. And God comes in and blows him away. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the angels, and the angels were proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. If we go to Revelations, we find those same angels, and it basically says when they are in the presence of Almighty God, they themselves are so overwhelmed by the power and the majesty of God that all they can say over and over again is, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's like some of us on our marriage, you know, our bride or our groom is so gorgeous that all we can do is like, you're beautiful over and over again. We've got nothing else to say. Ramp that up and take us into the presence of God. It's like, God, you are holy. You are awesome. You're wonderful. I don't have anything else to say. So this powerful revelation came to Isaiah. And what that did was it opened him up and prepared him for what was to happen next. Standing in the presence of God, his reaction, and this is the next state, the next statement. The first one was revelation. The second one is reaction. The reaction of Isaiah is, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Back in the day of Isaiah's religion, he had been taught to come into the, that to come into the presence of God would kill him. God is so holy, so distant, so uh, much more than he could ever be that to enter into God's presence would wipe him out. Just like bringing dark into light, the light eradicates the darkness, right? You couldn't come into the presence of God. And here he is suddenly in the presence of God and his immediate reaction is, I'm lost. I, I'm destroyed. Woe is me. And he talks about not just himself, but the others around him. You know, interestingly enough, as we track the old revivals in the old days, a true revival is always marked by repentance. A true revival is always marked by this awareness of sinfulness. It's Romans 5.20 that says where the law abounded, uh, that the law came, forgive me, the law came to make the sin abound. So that where the, the sin abounded, the grace of God would abound all the more. There's this element in the revelation that brings the reaction, woe is me, I am a sinful man, I have fallen short, I am desperately in need of help, I am not worthy. But that is sets the stage for the next part. And the next part, so I've said already now, the first part is revelation, the second part is the reaction, but the third part is the redemption. Um, a person who knows their sin who knows their helplessness is a person ready for help for help i think that's one of the reasons why i loved so much working in palliative care because people were at the end of their abilities everything they had done everything they had tried had not worked and they were they were desperate for mercy for they they needed help and i found so many people ready for help in that place so the redemption 
It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this is touch your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. You know, in the book of James, it speaks about what's inside a man. Um, it comes out of his tongue, and it lights the whole world on fire. It talks about the evil in the heart that comes out the tongue and lights the whole world on fire. Jesus talked about how what's in the heart of a man comes out, and, and it's it's not what goes into you that pollutes you it's it's the evil that comes out through the tongue through the mouth so the imagery here is quite powerful in the sense that this angel brought this flaming coal from the altar of god and touched isaiah on his lips or on his mouth and the burning power of god down into his soul down into his heart down into the into his belly cleansed him from his sin this is what happened to isaiah First the woe, the reaction, then the redemption. In the midst of the woe, it was like, I'm ready, and God forgives. And, and it's interesting to me, because Isaiah didn't even pray at this point, God forgive me. He just said, woe was me, and God had mercy on him. And in that awareness of his own need, God met him there and touched him there. Isaiah didn't have to perform. He didn't have to pray the formula prayer. His heart was ready, and God touched him and cleansed him. Well, right after the redemption. Now remember, there's the revelation, the reaction, the redemption. And now there's the, the request. And, and after the declaration of the sin being burned out of his life, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, And whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know, it's interesting to me that God doesn't jump all over Isaiah and say, Hey, you, I got plans for you. You're going to do this. He doesn't, he doesn't do this with Isaiah. Instead, he thunders forth this question. Who will I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah gives the response. Here am I. Send me. You know, it's funny actually because I was doing a presentation on sin a while ago. I was teaching at a college. I was teaching teaching a, a group of young people, and uh, and at the end of the presentation, one of the things I emphasized with this was this desire, this intense desire, this purpose of God to redeem, to cleanse, and and then to call us forward in the power of that cleansing. At the end of the presentation. One young lady stuck, uh, stood up as she gathered her books. She said, I've listened to a lot of presentations on sin. This is the only one that's left me with any hope. It is so important when we speak about the sin in people's lives. It is so important that we understand about the sin in our lives. That it's a condition that we live with. And yet it's also the thing that God came to break us free from. You know, John 3, 17, Jesus said, The Son did not come to condemn this world, but to save this world. It's not his purpose to condemn us. It is his purpose to save us. And so as we think about this, and we think about uh, the way this experience unfolded for Isaiah, through the reaction, woe was me as he saw his sin. He had a moment of total hopelessness. If it depends on me, I'm lost. Immediately in being in, in, in being in that place of, of not being able to depend on anything that he had to offer, God steps in and redeems him and then gives a request. Isaiah is not forced into anything. 
request. And, and suddenly the despair that this man felt that I have nothing to offer suddenly flared up in this amazing hope. And he cried out, here am I, send me. And well, Isaiah goes on to be one of the most famous prophets of all history. You know, I don't know what you're going through. Um, but um, if God is calling you, maybe you have experienced some of these things in your own walk. I want to encourage you. You know, you've had the revelation of God. And you think back about the times when you had the revelation of God. And you've experienced the reaction, the, the sinfulness, your own failings. Um, there's more to come. God never leaves us in the place of the reaction. You know, it's one of the things I often talk about the devil. There is a devil out there. And we always know the devil because the devil is the accuser. His name is Satan. His translates the slanderer, uh, the one who accuses the brothers, the sisters too. Uh, but the devil's voice, you can always tell the devil's voice because he always leaves you in the place of condemnation. There is no hope at the end of listening to the devil. Jesus is different. The voice of God is different. The voice of God addresses the mess that we have made or the mess of our lives. The voice of God addresses the weakness in our lives precisely because the voice of God, the heart of God, wants to give us the strength that we cannot generate on our own. And so redemption comes. And maybe you remember that redemption that you once experienced. And you heard the request, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? You know, what that question really asks is, are you willing to give up your life? You know, I think about how Jesus, he was approached by someone one time and they said, you know, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He's got no home. He's got no nothing. The son of man gave up everything to do what he does. Are you ready to come and follow me? There were people that stepped back when they realized, you know, how, how, how deeply this call would change everything in their lives. There are people like the rich young ruler who say, Jesus, come, I, I I'm scared of what's going to happen if I die. I, I want salvation. And Jesus said, you have to trade your current life for the salvation that you seek. You cannot live a selfish life and gain salvation at the same time. There's a trade-off that needs to be made. And you know what? Especially in, in North America, we've been taught this idea that we can have the cake and eat it too, so to speak. Uh, that we can have all the blessings of heaven and all the blessings of this earth. And those who teach that are false, false preachers. God asks us to give up what we have here so that we can rest in him. Because God knows the moment that we depend on the things of this world, we don't depend on God. So he says, are you willing? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to give up your life here that you may have it eternally? Are you willing to give up the, the mundane, everyday, secure thing that you live in so that you can walk with me and I will work through you and you will see the things of God all around? Are you willing? Not everybody is willing. And I've asked that question many times to people. Are you willing to say yes to Jesus? There's a trade-off that you will make. Sometimes people go, I don't know if I'm willing. Sometimes people say, I'm not willing. They go away, they come back, okay, I'm willing. <laughs> Some people say, I'm ready. So, where are you at? You've had the revelation. You've experienced the reaction, the woe is me. You've experienced the redemptive touch. 
You know, maybe you're one of those people that have stumbled again and you think to yourself, uh, I blew my chance. That's the devil speaking. There is no end of chances with God. God will always come back. He will always pick you up again. He demonstrated that with his disciples, even when Peter betrayed him and cursed him. Jesus came walking down that shoreline after the cross, after the resurrection, and he called those guys in from the boat and he said to Peter, come with me. Jesus never gives up on us. And so the request and the response, are you willing? Are you willing? You know, God doesn't ask you to generate all this stuff. He says, I don't want all your sacrifices. I don't want all your religious stuff. I only want your heart. That is a powerful thing to give to God. I want to ask you if, if you're in a place in your life and if this word speaks to you, and maybe you've been one of those people that has done a lot of religious stuff and you don't feel like that religious stuff has got you anywhere, it's probably because it hasn't. God wants your heart and he wants your soul and he wants to pour his love into you and he wants to use you. And he wants to probably turn your life in a different direction. Are you willing? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We're going to pray a simple prayer of surrender. Um, all you have to do is mean it in your heart. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you as we are. We tell you that we believe you are who you say you are. You are the Son of God. You died to forgive my sin and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Lord God, you see me as I am. I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I ask you to show me who you are. Lord, as you show me who you are, I will give you my sins. I will give you my failure, my arrogance, my self-hatred, everything. Touch me with the coal. Cleanse me. And I am ready to say to you, I am willing. To that end, I bless you and I wait upon you. And I receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.